I want to look at two important activities in the life of a Christ follower today, and uh, maybe some people are new to the faith, or maybe you're kicking the tires and you're trying to figure out what it's all about. Uh, but these are two things that most of us have probably heard about, but I felt like it was important to have a little refresher on them and to make sure that we never forget the purpose of why we do these two things. Uh, we celebrate a lot of things, don't we? I mean, just think about it. We're coming out of the summertime. What do, we, what do we do in summer? We celebrate graduations and weddings and anniversaries. We have parties to celebrate, and to celebrate, the celebrations that, we, that you engage in, we engage in, are often established how? Well, probably by the traditions of our family, uh, sometimes our ethnicity, how we, where we come from, our kind of our, our, our race of origin determines some of those ways that we celebrate. Now, when you come together and you have these celebrations, what, think about what are the components that are involved in them? I think there's at least three that are always involved. First of all, there's community. There's family and there's friends who gather to share in this milestone moment. I mean, what good would a special occasion be uh, if you couldn't gather people together around it, family and friends, and to celebrate with them? This community component with friends and family, that's really what makes it, ends up making it special. Uh, there's another component, there's reflection. At a lot of these times, a lot of these gatherings, a lot of these celebrations, somebody will say a few words or give some thoughts or pray a prayer to commemorate the special time. Another component would be celebration where there's food, there's drink, there's gifts, there's decoration, there's music. But whenever there's a special occasion, these seem to be kind of some of the main ingredients for commemorating these important rites of passage. Henry Nguyen is a Catholic priest who died a few years back. He wrote a book called Here and Now. And in it, he talked about this element of celebration. And I love what he said. He said this, I think it's more important to celebrate one's birthday than a successful exam or promotion or a victory. To celebrate a birthday means to say to someone, thank you for being you. Celebrating a birthday is, is exalting life. It's being glad for that life that this person has. On a birthday, we do not say, thanks for what you did or what you said or what you accomplished. No, we say, thank you. Thank you for being born and for being among us. And on birthdays, we celebrate the present. We don't complain about what happened or speculate what will happen. We simply lift someone up and let someone else say, we love you. Celebrating a birthday reminds us of the goodness of life. And in this spirit, we really need to celebrate people's birthdays every day by showing gratitude, kindness, forgiveness, gentleness, and affection. These are the ways of saying it's good that you were alive and it's good that you were walking with me on this earth. Let's be glad and let's, be, and let's rejoice. We're not celebrating a birthday today, but we are celebrating Jesus. And we're going to use a couple of key components. We're going to enter and engage in two practices that were central to the early church. And they were so devoted to these two practices that they literally called them sacraments. Now, different churches and different groups and different denominations have different sacraments. But we focus on two as a church. Now, what's a sacrament? It is something that, that, is, that, that takes something that's ordinary, but God uses it to make it a vehicle for that which is extraordinary. In baptism, we use ordinary water, but something sacred is going on in baptism. In communion, at the Lord's table, we use this, these very simple elements called bread and, and juice, and we share them. But when, but, but when we participate in them and when we partake of them, uh, something happens that moves us from the ordinary to the spiritual and to the supernatural and to the extraordinary. It becomes a window to be able to see God in a different way. Used to be when people in the, in the, the dark ages were oftentimes uh, baptized when they'd come up out of the water. They would, be, they would literally just emote into great praise. Oftentimes people would be relieved of demons, we read. There's powerful things that happen as we engage in these elements. And I want us to read this morning from a familiar passage that Paul writes concerning this. We understand that in Luke chapter 22, Jesus has the first communion time. 
this understanding that I want you to remember something. And Jesus says, I want you to remember this because I'm not going to be able to do it again until I meet you in heaven. And it talks about that in Revelation chapter 19. And then Paul picks it up as he's teaching the church some 30 years later. He's now become a Christ follower. And if you pick it up in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're going to look at verse 23. And it says this, for I received, Paul's writing to this carnal church. They have a lot of things out of order. And he wants to reset their order when it comes to the Lord's Supper. They were a very charismatic church, but they lacked a lot of character. They were a very strong church in terms of the gifts of what God has given them. But in that process, they were also very carnal. They were very divided. They were very egotistical in what they did. It was more about the individual a lot of times than it was the church itself. It was more about themselves than what Jesus wanted to do in and through them. And so Paul's coming, and he wants to remind them and bring some correction. He says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, what I also pass on to you. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, the Lord took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you say that with me? Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after the supper, and he said, this cup is the new covenant, the new promise in my blood, the new relationship that I'm bringing to you. So a covenant embodies a promise, a relationship. This is the new covenant in my body. Do this, and as often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. Say that again, would you? Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, there's a lot of stuff in there we'll just briefly look at here in just a moment. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Now, that's, a, that, that's kind of a hard saying right there. And that gets a lot of people tweaked. But he goes on and say, well, let a person examine himself. For in this way, let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you and many have fallen asleep. Now, he's talking, remember, about this church, that they are not united. They are disunited. They have people that are sinning flagrantly and flippantly and laughing about it. They're not taking care of one another. They have all this chaos and commotion going on, really, in the name of the Lord. And that's what he's talking about there. And if you read the first 10 chapters, you'll see how that comes out, where Paul has to come with some heavy words and some heavy discipline. And so he's, he's really saying, when you come to this time, and we'll talk about it in a few minutes, be aware. Take care of yourself. Examine yourself. Test yourself. Because he says, if we are properly judging ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, welcome one another. If anyone is hungry, we should eat at home so that when you gather together, you'll not come under judgment. I will give instructions about these matters whenever I come. He's saying, I'm, I'm going to pick this up when I come and share it with you. Now, he's talking about two things here. He's talking about a thing called a love feast. But he's also talking about a time that after they had this love feast, it was like the first potlucks they used to have. And we'd have over here the have-nots, and we'd have the, uh, the have people over here. And, and these people were over here reveling in everything that they had and not even paying attention to the people that had very little. And he said, that, that, that's not how we are called to operate. And he said, in the midst of all this division, I want you to experience some sense of unity. Now, we're not going to look at the love feast. We're going to look at the communion part that would follow that. Now, note the reoccurring word that we notice, remember. Jesus said the same thing in Luke chapter 22 when he sits around the table with the disciples and he says, I want you to remember this because I'm not going to do this again until we meet again in the kingdom. Isn't it true that Jesus knows us pretty well? He has this great idea, this understanding that our memory has this wonderful capacity to fade. 
Are you finding it easier these days to forget things? Maybe it's because of your busyness. Maybe it's because of your schedule. Maybe it's because you're getting a little older. I mean, dates where your key, where you left your keys, where you set your wallet or your purse down. Trina's been gone for three days. I can't find anything. <laughs> Some of you know this. I, I, I used to pride myself on remembering names of most of the Creeksiders. Now, it is not unusual for me to sit there and just look right at you, and I can't recall a name. And that's some of you that I've known 20 years. <laughs> Do you find that happening? See, see, God knows us. He knows that, that our rememberer sometimes is worse than our forgetter. And that's why he says, what I want you to do is I don't want you to forget about this precious peace and portion that when you come together, you remember who I am and what I've done. And to help you with that, I'm going to give you some ways to remember it. And one of those is communion. We're going to participate in just a moment. But it really helps us to remember. It's a statement of remembering your faith. He says, for whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes back. As we participate in this today, friends, guess what? We really make a, 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 a three-point statement about our faith. It's backward. It has a backward look in remembering Jesus' death on the cross. That we understand it is through the cross that we experience new life, and then we're given forgiveness and this new, this new expression of how to live our life. It has a present look in our faith, remembering that Jesus' power to release us from the penalty of sin. That Jesus now empowers us to overcome our sin and to live a life, a changed life that is growing and that is freedom. Can I tell you something? One of the things that expresses, expresses the greatest, that becomes one of the greatest indicators that we're really in Jesus is that we're changing. We, we have this thing today that says it really doesn't matter how you live. I mean, there was a doctrine that's been found throughout the scriptures and uh, throughout history. But he says you'll know them by their fruits. And we have been empowered by the life of Jesus Christ. And we are reminded of that in communion that we want to remember that what Jesus has done and empowers us to be people of change and transformation today, which really becomes the fruit of what God's doing in our lives. But it's also a look forward. It's not only a look back, a look into the present, but it's a look forward, remembering that Jesus didn't remain dead. He is alive, and communion rings the bells of our expectancy, reminding us that Jesus is returning. That's what he says there. Take this, when you, pro, when you take this, when you receive these emblems of communion, you are proclaiming my life until I come back. So as we receive this today, we talked about it last week, but we are making a declaration that Jesus Christ is coming back. And every time we hoist the cup, every time we partake of the bread, we are simply declaring, oh, Jesus, I do this with the expectancy of your return. I have a forward gaze on this whole process. It's a symbolic act. When Jesus said, <clears throat> this, this bread is my body and this cup is my blood, he didn't mean that literally it was his blood and his body. When he said these words, he hadn't even been to the cross yet. He hadn't died. The disciples weren't fully aware of it. So you got to realize they're probably sitting around the table and they're going, what? Blood, bread? Because remember, there were people when they heard this kind of communication in John chapter 6 from Jesus, they did an about face and they left. But we understand when Jesus said that, that, that he was talking about this representative, this symbolic act that would help us remember what he did. And you can see the wisdom of God, the imprint of God all over it. It's so simple. The elements of bread and grape juice are basically available to every class of people, aren't they? The unleavened bread reminds us of Christ's sinless body. In the, in the Old Testament, whenever they used unleavened, it was to portray the simple truth that it wasn't sin, sin that would spread. So they didn't use leaven in their bread. And it reminds us that Jesus was sinless. The wine, the juice, it's, it's blood-colored and is secured only, which is secured only by the crushing of grapes. 
It's vividly symbolic because we see how Jesus was crushed on our behalf. It's a sacred and a celebrative act all at the same time. It celebrates what Jesus has done, not what you and I are doing. Aren't you so glad about that? See, the joy in the New Testament is this this, this word that says that righteousness is imputed to us. And righteousness is simply right standing with God. It's beyond our achievement. We don't have to live on this treadmill of good works trying to please God or trying to get to God because of what we do. It's what has already been done on the cross by Jesus Christ. And And that's the sacred part of this, that as we remember, we also get to celebrate. Because see, when we follow, when you, when you made this decision, loved ones, to follow Jesus Christ, or maybe if you're here today and you haven't made that decision yet, you know what happens is when you cross that line, it says in Luke chapter 15 that literally heaven celebrates. I love that. Literally heaven throws a party. John just crossed the line. Julie just crossed the line. And all of a sudden there's this, this free-for-all heaven party where they celebrate. The word Eucharist that so many are familiar with, it means simply to give thanks. Communion becomes the yahoo for what God has done. It's a celebrative act that we get to participate in. It's easily portable for access and for participation as well. It can be observed anywhere. Do you know that? We don't have a set time for communion here. People go, how come? And I say, well, because I don't want it to just become, well, kind of a rote act. I don't want it to be just something, okay, today's the first Sunday or the second Sunday or whatever Sunday, and so we're going to do communion. I want there to have an emphasis upon it. Now, if, and here's the deal, because there, there are some church traditions, and I don't think it's wrong at all. I'm not saying anything against them. I'm just talking for myself and how we do it. I would encourage you, if you say, boy, I wish we did communion more often, do communion in your home. Get your little family around you and remind them of what these emblems represent and have a family communion. Those are some of the best times. But it's portable. It can be done anywhere. Uh, Communion was even taken on the moon after Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin touched down on the moon. Um, Buzz Aldrin took out the communion elements that he had brought with him. He brought it, he opened up his flight packet and he, he set these little communion emblems on a little table there in front of him. He took out his Bible. And then he says back to home base, he says, Houston, this is Eagle. I would like to request a few moments of silence. And then what does he do? He reads scripture and then there's this, this moment of silence. And what happens? The first... The first thing that was eaten there was a communion bread. The first liquid poured was a communion juice. Yes, hear me, loved ones. The the circumstances around Christ's life are never to be taken lightly or for granted. But I suggest Jesus' intent was that we remember the process and not simply his pain, but we focus on the gain because of what come about. It's a celebration that here, loved ones, it should set off fireworks in our heart as we, as we get to participate today and we get to receive these emblems. I remember some of you know Chief Gerald Cook, who was just a, uh, I mean, he'd been here, I think, 40, 45 years as a member. He died of cancer back in uh, 2008. I was sitting with him in his room and we were talking about, Chief, what, what, do you, what, do you want your, what do you want your service to be? He says, what I don't want is I don't want anyone focusing on my cancer, my pain, the struggle I've gone through for the last couple of years. I want it to be a celebration. I want it to focus on who Jesus is and what he's done in my life, that I love him, I love serving him, and I love serving people. And for those of you, some of you might have even been here for that, it was an incredible celebration. Almost every tear that was shed was out of celebration because of who he was and what God had done in his life. See, we want to remember this with joy, not sorrow. Sometimes we think if it's sacred, it has to be somber. But hear me, loved ones, the worship of Jesus Christ, it's not a funeral dirge. It's a celebration. And Jesus didn't just die. We can't forget that he rose again from the grave. And when we receive these elements of communion, guess what? We get to receive them 
with a spirit of joy. It's an open activity. Some churches practice what is called a closed communion where no one except members of their denomination or their local church can partake of them. The Bible doesn't put any such restrictions upon it. It's a simple and it's a sacred declaration for anyone who says, I believe and I want to belong. So let me review just a few questions with you that people often ask. Things like, at what age should I permit my children to participate in communion? I love this because Jesus said to permit the children to come to me. Jesus has all of these, his brain trust, his religious people around him. And all of a sudden these kids start mellowing around and probably causing a little commotion. And you can just see the disciples, hey man, we got meetings here. And they, they push him back and get, try and get him away. What does Jesus do? He says, oh no, no, no. You let those little ones come to me. And then he sits them on his lap. And he says, you see these? This is what we're to be like, childlike. Not childish, but childlike. People ask, well, well when should we allow our kids to, to do this? I believe at whatever age you want them to remember Jesus. Whatever age you want them to remember Jesus. Because children have this wonderful capacity to, re to receive spiritual truth and act on it. In the early years of our church, when, when Sunday school or children's ministry was kind of a hit and miss, and I would ask rhetorical questions in a room, in, in the little room over there, and, and you know what, and adults kind of understood that it was a rhetorical question, or if it was a literal question, you know who always answered first? It was the little kids. I have young, when I say little kids, it could have been a four-year-old to a ten-year-old. I have a stack in my office of pictures and notes from the young children that when they come in here, They'll oftentimes, and there's actually, believe it or not, some of the kids that have wanted to come in here instead of go to children's ministry, and they'll write me a note. They'll draw me a picture on what I'm talking about. See, sometimes we forget the capacity that children have to respond to the life of Jesus Christ, and I don't want to put restrictions on them. Now, here's what I would recommend is that you talk to them about communion, again, in your home. I've told this story a, a, a lot of times here, but maybe there's some that are new here. When I was in second grade, um, before my second, before my stepmother and my father divorced, we used to go um, to the to Oregon City Four Square Church, and on Sunday morning they'd pass the communion. I was a few rows behind her on this one Sunday, and the communion was coming. Now I had no understanding or idea of what communion was about. I just know the church did it. So all of a sudden, I see juice and cookie, you know, or cracker. And I'm getting ready to take it. And now you have to understand, my stepmother, she, she had this jet black hair, striking woman. But man, she, she was tough. And all of a sudden, she wheels her head around, and she looks at me, and she gives me the meanest look and says no, which basically said, don't take communion. Well, <clears throat> as any second grader would do, I took it. She wasn't looking. She wouldn't know. So on the way home, I remember sitting in the back seat, and this is how it oftentimes happened. She would talk to me through the mirror, you know, the rear view mirror. And um, she said, did you take the communion? I said, yes, I did. And um, she said, you know, you can go to hell for that. So here I am, I'm a second grader, and it really uh, it was another year and a half later we were out of church because they divorced, but that really, that really struck me because of these words, be careful that you don't take it in an unworthy manner. Can I tell you something? Teach your kids about the sobriety of it, but also teach them about the celebration of it. What about receiving it in an unworthy manner, what it talks about there? To take it in an unworthy manner doesn't mean if you sin this past week, you're not worthy. It means that we examine ourselves and we acknowledge our unworthiness before God. And we say, Lord, thank you for the provision that your atoning death makes me worthy. There was an elderly, elderly woman who was participating in a, in a serve in which the pastor, as he served them communion up front, he said to her, listen, today as you pass the bread and the cup, whisper to the person next to you, this is the body of Christ for you. 
And then as you give them the cup, say, this is the blood of Jesus that was shed for you. And so this elderly woman, she takes him, and she gets ready to pass the elements, and she couldn't remember the exact words the pastor said, and she thought that was important. But she couldn't remember, so she just simply handed the person next to her the emblems that she was trying to think, and then she just paused, and she just simply said, take it, it's for sinners, you know? <laughs> she didn't remember the words, but she understood the meaning. We don't have to be perfect to be worthy. If we did, none of us could partake. It's for sinners. Remember, Jesus sat around a table, and when he gets ready to serve, he served his 12 disciples who were gathered with him. Who was there? Thomas, who doubted. Peter, who denied. Oh, yeah, Jesus. Excuse me, Judas, who betrayed. And all the others that forsook him at the cross. Yet Jesus served them communion. What about non-believers participating in it? Well, that's part of it. Here's my take on it. I believe this wholeheartedly. Paul is writing to the church when he talks about taking it in an unworthy manner. He's not writing to the people out there that don't believe. I am a firm believer, and there's people that will totally disagree with me on this, okay? So let me just be clear on that. But I firmly believe that if you don't know Jesus Christ and you receive the emblems of communion, all you are doing is a religious act. It's us who know Jesus, who's made this decision that we're going to follow Jesus. It's us that have to take it in a worthy manner. Well, how do you become worthy? Because we're not worthy in ourselves. Here's how we do it. We just come and it's, it says there, evaluate yourself. Am I perfect? Oh, my goodness. None of us are. But, Lord, this, this week I'm just broken. I've, you know, I've, I've just thought wrong or I've done some things. And I don't take it lightly, but I'm going to ask you to forgive me. Because as I take this cup, this is the source of nourishment and health that can change me. You know what Jesus says? He says, Done. And then we can take it with a sense of confidence. Can I just tell you, it doesn't matter whether you're a member of this church or not. If you know and follow Jesus, this is the Lord's table. It's not Creekside's. It's not open Bibles. It's the Lord's table. And this morning, I want to encourage you to receive. So as we come today, let this time provoke us to refocus our awe and wonder of God and to celebrate Him and what He's done. Do you know how far it is from you to Jesus Christ? It's this far, this table. Look across the table, so to speak, and as you partake of these emblems, you're with Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you today. Maybe there's somebody here, you have never crossed the line of faith. You've been kicking the tires for a while. You've been trying to figure out if this is something you want to do, you believe. Is this Jesus thing for real? I encourage you today, take that step. And maybe the step by just receiving communion, you say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that I'm a sinner and you forgive. I believe that I want to be nourished by your life. And today you receive your first communion. Maybe that's your declaration of faith. I encourage you to do that. See, we think we got to do all of these different things. It is simply we believe in our heart, confess with our mouth. And you can do that today to now, right where you are. Maybe some of us have been far away from God. And as you, you don't even have to examine yourself. You just go, that's me. You know what you can do today? Say, Lord, I've, I've examined myself. I'm not passing the test. But in that examination, I just want to repent and invite you back into this sphere of my life and my heart to bring change. I want to invite you at your tables there are some communion emblems. I want you to just take them, and on the top there, you'll see that the, the top comes off to give you a little piece of bread. And then you can take another top off and it brings you to the juice. And this morning I want us to, to receive this together.
I'm going to ask you if you just bow your heads for a moment. And take the bread in your hand, if you would. But as you bow your heads, I want you to just say, God, this is what I'm thankful for today. And if somebody here, someone's, if you need strength, because that's what the bread is about. It's about this daily sustenance, this daily strength that we partake of with Jesus Christ that he gives us as we follow him and walk with him. Maybe there's people here today that you say, I, I need some strength. And if that's you, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you this morning. You say, I, I need some strength. Would you just raise it up so I can see it? Yeah. Yeah, there's a number of us, absolutely. We need strength, don't we? Just to follow God and to live life. I want you just, those who say that, I want you to just hold this bread in your hand. And let's pray this prayer. And you can say your own prayer. But Father, you said that you give us this bread. We need bread. We need the bread of life. We need this sustenance every day. We need nourishment to physically get through. But Lord, this is a picture. This is symbolic of the, life of Jesus that we need every day to get through spiritually, emotionally. We want to receive that today. We thank you, Lord, for this symbol that enacts our faith, that provokes our focus upon you. So, Lord, I I pray for these people that their strength would not wane. But, God, during this time right now, they would be strengthened in the name of Christ Jesus, we pray. We receive this, Lord, believing you your touch and your strength. Amen. Would you go ahead and receive that emblem? The next portion is the juice. And as you have that sitting there before you, Scripture says in Hebrews 9.22 that without the remission of sin, without the remission of blood, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And what this reminds us of, because we are, we're, we're, we're human and we're sinful people. People don't like to hear that today. Oh, man, let's keep it positive. Well, you really can't deal with the positive until you extricate and understand the negative. And this is simply a reminder that Jesus shed his blood for us. And before we receive this, I want us to just sing the song, Amazing Grace, to be reminded of that. This amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that would have saved each one of us, that's available to all of us. So would you just sing this song with me, Amazing Grace? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that Baby. 
Father, that song speaks clearly of the gospel, even as communion does, that there's a past for what you've done. There's a present that we can live freely today, and then there's a future that we get to be with you eternally. We thank you, Lord, for the rich depths of forgiveness that this emblem represents, that not only did we get to participate in with you, but we get to partake of it with others around us. We all live in this life where we get get bumped and we get bruised. We get wounded. We even get deeply hurt. And yet, Lord, the call is that we would be people who are imitators of you and we forgive because you forgave us. I just want to ask and pray this morning again for you. Is there, maybe there's somebody in this room you say, you know what, I've got some bitterness in my heart that I just need to confess before the Lord this morning. Would you just, would you, Terry, would you just pray for me that I would be open to God's work in this moment, in this time, to be a person who forgives? Or maybe you need to experience forgiveness and know that it's, it's real, it's true, and it's right. Say, would you, want, would you just help me to understand that I am forgiven? And, and if you would be either one of those people, would you just raise your hand so that I can just catch your thing? Just keep it up for a moment so I can just kind of see. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Amen. Thank you. You bet. Amen. Father, you see these hands. Lord, probably a few more of us, if we really understood the depths of our depravity, we would be able to do that as well. But Lord, for these people that have raised their hands, I raise mine. Lord, I just ask that you would understand this, the deep, unfathomable riches of your forgiveness toward us so that we can express those toward others. So Lord, I pray for the healing of each of these people, whether it's to forgive or to experience and understand and sense the full forgiveness of God. I pray that would happen today. Even as we take this sacrament, take the ordinary and make it extraordinary in our lives now. Take the practical and make it spiritual for each of these people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you just go ahead and receive of the juice now? I want to move to the second sacrament, and I want to read a simple passage from the book of Romans. We're going to do baptism this morning. Uh, We only have a couple of people, and I thought about, you know, a lot of times what I would do in the past is I would cancel until we had more people. Uh, This time I just said, no, you know, it doesn't matter how many we have. Those people are ready. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to baptize them. And, um, but here's the cool thing is we always make room for people. Uh, maybe, maybe the Lord speaks to you during the context of what we're doing. And you say, you know, I've never been baptized. I want to do that. Or maybe some people, there have been times where they've been so far from God and come back. They said, I, I, I want to do this again. Not because I have to, but because I want it to be a marker on that day in my life. And as I talk about this, if that would be you, uh, we have sweatpants for you, we have shirts for you, and we have a towel for you so that, you know, we tell people, jump in. You know, go in in your clothes, and we'll take care of you afterwards. You can just change your clothes and go home in nice new stuff, and we won't even make you return it unless you want to. But uh, I want you to know that there's opportunity for people to be baptized, even if you didn't come prepared. See, what's baptism about? Well, let me read it to you in Romans chapter 6. It says this. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may have multiplied? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us were baptized into Christ Jesus? We were baptized into his death. See, that's a picture when you go down in the waters, you come up into new life. Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in his likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him 
so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved by sin. Have you noticed the theme through these two sacraments? These are reminders of where, who we were, where we've come from, to where we are now, into this newness of life. And baptism is another reminder of that. Once a person admits that they're a sinner and they, and they turn to Christ, this baptism thing becomes a declaration that to the world that you've made this decision, to the church people that you've made this decision. This is what baptism really, it separates the, the tire kickers from the buyers. Baptism has always kind of stood as this thing. Do you really mean what you say about following Jesus Christ? See, it's one thing in the privacy of your own heart to say that, you know what, I need a Savior. It's quite another thing to step to the platform and out of the shadows and to this tank, the baptismal tank, and stand before tens or hundreds of people to say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of questions that people have about this. I'm not going to give an in-depth teaching, but I want to answer some of the questions. What's the meaning of baptism? It's simply an outward expression or testimony of an inward work. Every person that comes today that gets baptized, this is simply the outward expression of what Jesus Christ has already started and done in their work. Matthew 28, 19, Jesus, some of his last words before he ascended to heaven, he said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The word baptism comes from the Greek. It's just baptizo. And it simply means to immerse, to be fully immersed or surrounded. One of the other pictures of it in the New Testament was when someone wanted to dye cloth. They would bury it in the dye, D-Y-E, and then it would come out with whatever color they were being dyed in. That's kind of what a great picture for us is that we're dying to ourselves as we go under the waters and then we get raised to new life with Jesus Christ. And as we come up out of those waters where this new creation, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and the old has passed away, behold, we're becoming new. And it's a picture of the washing away of the sin in our life that we're being cleansed by the life of Christ. People ask, well, how much water does it really take to get baptized? Because there's so many different traditions, aren't there? Well, I just said the word baptism, the reason we do it this way, the reason our denomination does it this way, the reason most Protestant denominations do it this way is because baptism literally means to be immersed. Now, hear me, I don't have any theological access to grind with people who sprinkle. I don't have any theological access to grind with people who... Um, do little children. There's nothing magic about the water because it's always Jesus who does the cleansing and it's always in our heart. But remember, we have to remember, sometimes we forget about the things that God has done in our lives and so we do these activities and actions as a reminder and a declaration not only to ourselves and to the enemy of our soul but to the people around us and to the church that I'm part of it. So it isn't about how much water. There are people that I have literally sprinkled because they were so sick and dying that we couldn't do a full baptism. But I believe in the essence of, of this whole thing of why we do this is that this is where you stand up and you make the declaration and say, I'm a follower of the one who gave his life for me and I want everybody to know it. I'm not going to be one of these secret saints. I'm not going to be one of these people that stands in the shadows. Another question is, is it more appropriate to baptize babies or people who are old enough to make a faith decision? Again, this is, there's, there's brilliant and there's bright, godly people on both, in both camps. The position of Creekside Church and the vast majority of Protestantism is that baptism is really administered to people who are old enough to recognize that they're sinners and they've done wrong mature enough to understand the substitutionary death of Christ on their behalf, that when Jesus went to the cross and he died, he died for me. And he died for humanity, but for me. And that we're responsible enough to make a solid decision to trust Jesus, and that with that declaration, that we're going to make this decision to follow him for the rest of our lives. For your consideration, there's not one single clear reference in the entire Bible that a baby was ever baptized. We do children 
you'll see some uh, in, in this service even, in, in, in other services, you'll see younger children get baptized, but it's only after we've talked to them in their language to help them understand generally what it means. Again, here's my take on it. Uh, I, I got baptized in, in the fourth grade. I went to a church camp, and I, you know, I, I walked down, and I went and stood at an altar, and I received Jesus, and I got baptized. I didn't understand it. But I believe with all my heart that that set some things in motion that brought me to where I am today. I always had this God conscience until I really made a solid decision when I was 18 years old. So we're not going to turn children away that are younger unless they're really young and they have absolutely no orientation. What we do is we do a thing called child dedication. Some of you have seen them where we bring them up. Uh, child dedication is clearly biblical. It's in 1 Samuel chapter um, 2. It's in Luke chapter 2, verse 22. Jesus was dedicated at the temple. He came with his parents and they prayed over him. And that's what we do here. We make it a special little celebration for the family where we dedicate the child and we dedicate the parents to say you're going to raise them in the nurture and the admonition and the love and protection of Christ as we pray over them. Another question is, does baptism in and of itself save anybody? Hear this. The answer is a resounding no. Scriptures are clear that only Jesus Christ, in, in, that Jesus Christ saves a person through faith and belief in him. That's what saves a person. Baptism is simply a public demonstration of that decision that you make personally. Baptism has absolutely no redemptive saving powers of its own. There's no biblical basis for that position. As a matter of fact, about a, thousand, a little over a thousand years ago in the dark ages, what they would do is they started teaching uh, because so many children were dying at that time. They actually, they taught that if a child was sprinkled, that they were baptized as an infant or a child, that when they died, they would go to heaven. Now, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of theology that I could get into here. Here's what I believe, and you've heard about it, this thing called the age of accountability. I believe God's grace and his love for people, that when a child, an infant, a stillborn, an aborted baby dies, that they go to heaven. And I don't have time to unpack all that I have in other teachings. But they used to teach that if you were baptized as an infant, guess what? You were saved and going to heaven. So when people grew up, they believed that their faith was based on this infant baptism. 500 years later, 500 years ago, we had the Protestant Reformation. They said that's not true. Baptism doesn't save anything. It says the just shall live by faith. That It is righteousness that is imputed that comes to us because of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's what I want to challenge you with. If some of you have been banking on an infant baptism as your ticket to eternal life, you might be in trouble. Don't believe that because it's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, not this activity. This activity is only an expression of what God has already done in your life because you decided to follow him, which leads to this truth. What if a Christ follower refuses to be baptized? And I said this before, it's a question that always puzzles me when I hear it. I want to say, wait a minute. Do, do I really understand what you're asking? Jesus dies for you on a cross, the most excruciating and painful death in the history of mankind. He's naked and he's broken. He takes on our sin and judgment on himself and he offers salvation and eternal life as a gift of grace. He does all of that and, and then he asks us to simply admit in front of family and friends and to stand up and say that I'm following, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. To do that publicly. And someone then says, you know what? I'll take the free gift of salvation, but I'm going to take a pass on Jesus' request to publicly declare it. Can I tell you something? That just never, that never computed in my mind. I don't get that. Because I believe that one really understands the gospel of grace and the miracle of forgiveness to what Christ did on the cross. They'll say, I will follow you anywhere. I will do anything that you ask, and I'll stand in front of anybody and declare it. The more 
the merrier. Here's what I believe, friends, that baptism is one of the first obedience tests that a Christ follower has, and it ultimately becomes a heart check. Will you do what Jesus said? And I've heard a lot of reasons why in past years, but I want to just ask you straightforwardly today. Have you ever been baptized since you become a Christ follower? Maybe it's time for you to take a stand. You can do it today. We're prepared to assist you with whatever you need. Shirts, sweats, towels, whatever. All I would ask is that you keep your pants on and take your wallet out of your, out of your pockets so we don't have to deal with that. But hear me, loved ones. We, it's not unusual for us to have people who jump in fully clothed. And if that would be you today, I want to encourage you to say, Lord, today's the day that I'm going to take a stand because you were on the cross, died on the cross for me. So here's how we're going to do this. We're going to just, in the context of worship, we're going to continue to worship. We have uh, one person getting baptized this service. And if the Lord prompts you, or maybe you just say, you know something, I've put this off long enough and I need to do it. Just go stand over here and we'll set you up and uh, get you ready for baptism. But that's for anybody that wants to do it today. Just go stand right over here and we'll set you up. But I want to invite you to stand with me. We're going to pray and then we're going to worship and we're going to, get bapt we're going to do baptisms. Father, we come today, we thank you that we get to participate in this thing called the church. It's the expression of your body. And within that, Lord, we get to participate in these sacraments, these ordinary things that become extraordinary and supernatural. We get to receive communion. We get to be baptized, Lord. And they're simply reminders that point us to Jesus Christ. And I pray that today, Lord, there be something in our spirit that would be quickened because, Lord, of our decision to follow you. Thank you that we get to gather. We thank you, Lord, for every person today that's going to be baptized. In Jesus' name, we pray and give thanks. Everybody said amen. Amen. amen.